Everything about this moment in history seems uniquely designed to challenge our mental health. We are suffering, we need answers, and we need help. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound to host their new podcast series, Going There. I'm Dr. Mike Friedman, clinical psychologist and life coach. With Going There, I will talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health, just like us. After all, mental illness affects us all. And the same artists who have stepped up to share their wonderful work with us are now sharing the intimate details of their journey in living with mental illness. We are going to ask the tough questions, and we're going to have the difficult conversations, all so that we can learn from each other. But more importantly, to shine a light on the difficult topic of mental illness so that we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we hope you join us on this journey. Going there, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Utterstall. And I'm Ike Snoonian. And we are back with our second episode on schizophrenia. Today we are, wa- I'm sorry, yay! Yay, schizophrenia. Pardon me, listeners. Um, today we are watching the 2015 psychological horror film, They Look Like People. And I said that with the gravitas that it needed this time because I've seen it now. They so. look like, like people. people. Like people? Oh, oh, oh. No, I heard that in the count voice. Anyway, so before we dive in, we're going to give a brief synopsis of the movie They Look Like People in case you haven't seen it or it's been a while. So here is your spoiler alert. It looks like a spoiler alert. (laughs) All right. Christian is a young man living in New York City, baby. I'm sorry. I just really wanted to say oh, it. No. <laughs> oh, only in New York. Uh, okay. Aww. I had to get that out of my system. <laughs> okay. He is a former nerd who listens to motivational tapes and works out a lot. Desperate to distance himself from himself. Oh, Lobbies. Oh, baby Christian. <laughs> oh, I feel you, Christian. <laughs> I do too. While walking home from work, he runs into his old friend, Wyatt. Christian invites him to stay at his apartment. Both are dealing with recent breakups and quickly reconnect. Although Wyatt seems a little troubled, Christian overlooks this, happy to have a friend to fill the void left by his ex-fiance. Wyatt and Christian go on a double date, or sort of, kind of, not really a date with (laughs) Christian's boss, Mara, and Mara's friend. It all seems pretty normal. But Wyatt has a secret. 
In flashbacks, we see him lying next to his former fiance, her face in shadow, and she's changing. We hear flies buzzing and something else, something dark, crackling and wet. Ooh, in night, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think the, the wet part is what gets me. Mm-hmm. At night in Christian's apartment, he receives phone calls. On the other end of the line are voices that say the people around him are infected, that they are demons who only look like people. One of the voices he hears is Mara. Making secret use of Christian's creepy basement, Wyatt amasses an assortment of weapons, including an axe, a hammer, a nail gun, and vats of sulfuric acid. He contemplates using the nail gun to either kill himself or people on the street who might be demons. Thankfully, he backs off, unable to pull the trigger. Wyatt suspects he might have schizophrenia and talks about going to see a therapist, but ultimately convinces himself that it's unnecessary. Whether this is because he thinks he's okay or because he thinks the demons are real is unclear. Christian continues to get closer to Mara, but their budding romance is thrown a curveball when Mara has to pass on the news that Christian is getting fired. Happens to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) After coming over to Christian's apartment to drink away the blues, Mara finds herself alone with Wyatt. He brings her to the basement to ask her about the call he thinks he got from her and shows her his cachet of weapons. She has no idea what he's talking about and flees, justifiably. Wyatt must now tell Christian what he's been experiencing. It seems like the two of them have perhaps been through this before. Either way, Christian tries to understand. He tells Wyatt that he attempted suicide the previous year and that he's making an appointment for Wyatt with his therapist. While waiting for the appointment, Wyatt attempts to limit the damage his presence has done to Christian's life and tracks down Mara to convince her not to dump his buddy. During this meeting, Wyatt sees Mara turn into a monster, her eyes rolling back into her skull and her hands gushing blood. He comes home to Christian, more convinced than ever that what he's seeing is real and that they need to flee the city. Christian goes along with it, making it clear that he doesn't believe what Wyatt believes, but is nevertheless there to support him. Christian joins Wyatt with packed bags ready to hit the road. But before they can get away, Wyatt hears three claps of thunder that he believes signal the start of the demonic war. The two go down to the basement to hide from the takeover of humanity. Wyatt begins to fear that Christian might be a demon. Sensing this, Christian allows himself to be bound and gagged so that Wyatt will be safe if he does transform. While waiting, Wyatt places a bag over Christian's head. He hears the buzzing flies and wet crackling that signal the demonic infection. He prepares to douse Christian with acid, but at the last minute chooses not to kill his friend. When he realizes that Christian is still himself, he unbinds him and the pair embrace, having come through the episode together. And I cried. And I sang bad bromance to myself. Oh. (laughs) So now. But it's a good bromance. I know, I know, I know. Should we read it? caught in a good bromance? There we go. It's not, it doesn't have quite I've the same I've never heard of this song. Lady, lady Gaga. Gaga. Yeah, I'm not a Lady Gaga From like, fan. <laughs> it's, I mean, always like sort of everywhere, omnipresent kind it's of pop. It. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> I, I'm not going to, I'm going to shame myself from singing it. Um, you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's do a feelings check. And this is when we share our first experience with this movie and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And Mike, would you care to begin? Yeah, I love this movie. My first time seeing it was part of the Telluride Horror Show, which is a fest that I 
host every summer out in Telluride, every fall out in Telluride, Colorado. And it was part of that festival. So getting to see it on a big screen in particular uh, in a really great intimate festival, I think definitely contributed. It hit me at a time that I was planning to enter grad school to go into counseling. So I definitely was more acutely aware of some of the issues mental health wise going on in the movie. And they really like struck me as like a really honest interpretation of mental illness in a way that unlike a lot of movies, like didn't feel exploitative. So I absolutely adore it. It's also to me, it's part of a larger theme that ran through a lot of indie horror that I tend to love in the um, early teens uh, of this decade, where you had movies like Jeremy Gardner's The Battery, you have Benson and Moorhead's Resolution, and now They Look Like People, which very much dealt with male friendships and male bonding in a really positive way and a really caring way that kind of like was stripped of a lot of the toxic elements of masculinity and we're not afraid to be completely vulnerable. So I would say if our listeners are fans of this movie because of the friendship, definitely seek out Resolution and definitely seek out The Battery, which is the best indie horror movie of the past 20 years. And one of my favorite zombie movies, one of the only zombie movies of, of the recent yeah. days that I actually like. So good. <laughs> You'll see my have to check that quote out. on the cover of the Blu-ray. So, um, oh, yeah. really? That's awesome. I so, didn't yeah. know that much. Um, That's so cool. I adore that movie. So I love this movie I love the, for the friendships, for the really, I think, like, accurate portrayal of mental health uh, and the performances. It's really only three characters in the movie and all three of them just like hit it out of the fucking park. So mm-hmm. we're looking forward to diving into it. Yes. Laura, what about you? I also love this movie. I think it's a masterclass in doing a lot with very little. As an independent filmmaker, I'm really blown away when someone has, I can just tell has about the same level of resources that I do, but can tell a story that's, so impactful i'm still thinking about it years later i'm not sure exactly when i saw it as per usual i know it it was 2015 and i think it was probably not long after that that i saw it maybe 2016 something along those lines i just remember being so impressed and touched by the friendship that's at the core of the story and i completely agree with those other film comparisons mike i think there's a lot there's like a thread that runs through What I remember of it was mainly being really impressed with how they handled the sort of subject matter and the how sort of touching the friendship was. I think this time around, I somehow found it more unsettling. Something about the pandemic year and then the theme of like infection and paranoia that kind of runs through this and the idea of like seeing something that no one else can really hit a little bit closer to home for me this time around. I also think like that opening shot that they kind of return to of just staring at the dark face of the fiance with that horrible sound effect happening just utterly terrifies me. I literally like got goosebumps watching it this time and it's so it's such a slow burn and it's so subtle, but it really gets under your skin. So I am loving it. (laughs) Yeah, I loved this as well. It was not at all what I thought it was going to be. And I really didn't know. I I didn't really have a lot of expectations going in, but I think I kind of thought it was going to be a lot of people that were other things and that they look like I I think I had in my mind that it was going to be like the nightmare or something. But I watched it and just 
loved it. I think um, it really scared me, though. And this, this and there's another movie that we're going to be talking about in the next uh, month coming up that are very, like, low budget but feel very, very personal. You know, like, you really empathize with them. And so while I don't think this is a super scary movie, like, the tension was mounting so much and I kept seeing like cameras really scare me in a lot of ways like thinking about using that as a weapon like that's one of my big things that really scares me and I had to pause this a couple of times and finally I just had to pause it and I had to google the ending because I just could not take the tension and a lot of that was because I cared about these characters so much like I did not want anything bad to happen to either one of them and so even though I knew what was going to happen like to see it play out and to see that final moment just it made me cry like it was so so good because I think this movie does such a good job of really helping you empathize with a person with a mental illness really two people with mental illnesses and Mm -hmm. I found an article that I'm gonna link that talks about like showing how you can be afraid that you have this mental illness and also still be kind of caught up in these delusions. So like, is the horror that you might have this or is the horror that what you think might be a mental illness is actually real? Like which one of those things is scarier? And I just think that he did such a good job of never turning Wyatt into a monster Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. to like keeping us aware that he is a human being. And it made me like, as a person with a mental illness, it made me feel really seen. And like, this is what support, could look like you know and I imagine that's what we're going to talk about but you know I just loved it and I watched it again the next day and just yeah so good so yeah those are my feelings but it really fucking scared me Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's really it's it's like it's very subtly like it sneaks up on you you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's and again they you could just tell they have like no fucking budget they have like three locations this the hospital scene I'm convinced was shot in this in the apartment Mm -hmm. that is Chris because it's those gray walls you know like but they just it was so smartly edited you know the way that they it's just like no exposition sorry I should have said this but you know like just it's so lean and tight and then like subtly scary and it just oh I love it yeah Mm. sorry I'll stop yelling now no no it's worth yelling over because it's really good (laughs) and I know that like Harry Blackshear like he's gone on to make Siren and a couple other projects and I believe like his cast members have continued to work with him so he has this little troop that you know they continue to work together and i think one of the things you get from this movie is this tremendous sense of chemistry and this real sense mm-hmm. of trust in the filmmaker that like okay mm-hmm. you're gonna go to some weird places here but i i'm gonna take it at your word that you're gonna get what you need to out of me for this and it's for a better purpose like and i think that's very hard to come by so yeah. Well, and Mike, you mentioned like this is a male friendship and I haven't seen the other two mm-hmm. movies you were talking about, but I they just shot up on the top mm-hmm. of my list. But one of the things and I'm going to link another article that mentions this is that this is a really like intense, intimate friendship that these two men have. And there's never a moment where they have to make clear that, oh, we're not gay, yes. you know, where it's just mm-hmm. platonic, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. Like you can have these intimate friendships with them. And I mean, I think you could read it that maybe they were together earlier, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter to the film. They're not together now and they are giving each other platonic support. That yeah. Is- they love each other I, in yes. a very genuine, yeah. like pure kind of way that I think is really yeah. endearing. Like whether you want to read it as sort of romantic or not, like it's, it just doesn't matter. It's just so right. pure. <laughs> you know? I, I would, I, I never for a moment got like that, that vibe from it and I know that like thinking back to like my high school years 
there were like persons I became friends with that you do have like this deep, intense love for as a friend. And it's just, you don't feel, I think, I really feel like the intensity of the friendships you feel in those high school years, or there's probably nothing more intense than that. And I think that's when you make like your best, the, the people you think of as your best friends. Because as you get older and matter of the globe, Boston Globe did a great article like a few years ago that I'm like, this is me. Or like how much harder it is to make friends as you get older and like how crushingly lonely it can be and like how that can contribute to depression. But like back then, like this friendship between Christian and Wyatt from like a high school age. And the, even though they hadn't seen each other for a few years, like the residual intenseness of it was enough for Christian to be like, yeah, my house is your house and I'm going to be here for you no matter what. Yeah. And it never gets broy no. either, you know, like the, the stuff they do, they're playing around with like socks mm-hmm. and they're doing some weird thing under a blanket. They're not they're talking blobbies. about like, it's so cute, but it's not yeah. like, oh, what? Let's go try to find some chicks. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't ever go to that level either. Yeah. It's awesome. And yeah. Even though he's like sort of interested in his boss and it's kind of uncomfortable and weird, he never is like a douchebag mm-hmm. about it. Like he's very, and I love like, he show him like Googling things, mm-hmm. you know, and like, they're, they're kind of like I said they're a little on the dweeby side they're like but they're just like cis white dudes yeah and it's so so rare to see that kind of dude mm-hmm. just be a de- decent human being yeah. <laughs> like right. I know that sounds fucked up but like especially the way people get like you know turned into archetypes in film and like you know like they're both like good looking young guy they could have they just in any other like in the hands of a lesser filmmaker they would have just been mm-hmm. d-bags and we would right. have had to just deal with it you know yeah so Thank you, Perry Blatchier, for presenting <laughs> real men, you know, male characters. It's awesome. And I've got more thoughts about that mm-hmm. when we do our other mental health topics. But, well, all right. So let's talk about schizophrenia. And um, we talked a lot about different manifest. We talked a lot about the different manifestations of schizophrenia and kind of requirements for diagnosis in our episode on hereditary. So Mm -hmm. make sure to check that out. You don't need to listen to it first or anything, but just know that there's a lot more information about schizophrenia there. And Mike, I think today we're going to talk about causes and risk factors. Is that? Yeah, it's a little bit of causes, a little bit of risk factors, and then also like um, outcomes and potential treatment as well. So yeah. this will be a lot briefer, I think, than the last section. So just some general ins and outs, like the and across the globe, it's thought that about one out of every 100 persons have schizophrenia or like some level of it overall, which seems really high. Yeah, I was going to say that's surprising. Yeah, which is really surprising. It is very surprising. But I guess, again, there are different levels. And I guess the other thing, too, is that when you think about it is that we'll talk about the remission rates of it. So I guess when you factor all of that in, it's potential. Mm -hmm. The exact cause of uh, schizophrenia is not known. Research points like a combination of like physical, genetic, psychological, and environmental factors that can lead to the condition. Some might be more prone to it, especially if they've had like a stressful or like really difficult emotional life event that could trigger a psychotic episode. There's really not like a known explanation though for like why some would develop it because of that and others wouldn't. There's some research that's been pointed out like since 2015, some research was conducted 
that is pointing towards like an imbalance in the ex, uh, excitatory signals and the inhibitory influences as a potential cause. The balance of these two things is responsible for kind of maintaining a stable perception of reality, like understanding like day to day what you're seeing is what's really happening. Um, and now like this imbalance is thought it could be a potential link to uh, the rise in hallucinations. Can you talk about what is an excitatory signal and an inhibitory influence? Sure. So the, the former, because I'm not going to say that word again because I will butcher it. <laughs> excitatory, <laughs> I'll say it. Slightly accented. Right. Excitatory signals. Yes. Is basically yes, like these, the impulses being sent out from the neurotransmitters, like telling your body to do things. Like your brain is saying, you know, go out and do this now. Like those are the signals being carried over by the neurotransmitters where the inhibitory influences are like kind of what holds you back a little bit. That's mm. probably the easiest way I can describe it. Okay, that makes sense. Is that is that related to like SSRIs for depression or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, yeah. like things that control? The, it's basically right. you know, the train tracks are being turned on or off. Mm -hmm. You know, the the thing is being the the, the conductor is okay. Yeah. I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna stop the train <laughs> yeah. analogy right in, in its tracks. <laughs> there we go. Um, well, it's it's thought like perhaps like the chemicals that carry the messages from our brain, like the changes in levels of like in dopamine and serotonin. If there are like changes or f wild fluctuations in those levels, that might make a person like more susceptible to schizophrenia because of the chemical imbalance at that point. So, but again, it's not 100% um, known, but there has been some research in the past five or six years that is kind of delving more into that. So I started to read some of the peer reviewed papers and was immediately like in over my head. I'm like, I understand every eighth word in the speaker. So, yay. Um, so in terms of like the increased risk or who may be more vulnerable, um, it does tend to run in families, although there's like no single gene or genetic trait that can explain it. And even if you do have the gene or combination of genes that a relative that has it, it doesn't mean that you're absolutely going to get it. What was interesting is research they've done on twins if basically, is it fraternal, the ones that are like identical twins, I'm sorry, if identical twins, if one develops it, the other has like a one in two chance of doing it as well, even if they were raised separately from one another, mm -hmm. which kind of like limits the scope of, I guess, environmental causes at that point. Mm -hmm. Non-identical twins, there's like more of a one in eight chance. And if one gets it, the other will as well. There's, It's kind of like saying there's almost almost always some kind of underlying genetic yeah. component, but these other risk factors are acting on it in a way that either activates it or doesn't activate it. But it's un it's hard to say exactly when or why. Yeah, they, yeah. they think it's like not the cause of it, but more um, like that straight, we'll actually talk about that like in one second here, like the stress factors, like bereavement, losing your job or your home, divorce, the end of a relationship or an abusive relationship. They don't cause schizophrenia, but they might trigger it in some in someone uh, that might have be more vulnerable to it. So mm. if that makes sense, so it, it might not be the underlying cause, but again, it could be that event that actuates it. Pregnancy and birth complications like low birth weight, premature labor, labor or asphyxia during birth could be a potential cause of it later in life. 
just like stressful events like drug, drug abuse isn't considered a direct cause of schizophrenia, but it does increase the risk of developing it, especially drugs like cocaine, LSD, and amphetamines. Marijuana use in teenagers can make it more likely for them to develop as well, mostly because their brain is not fully formed yet. So when you say that, does that mean that trying drugs at some point in your life makes you more likely to um, this to manifest down the road? Or is that more likely to happen while you are using drugs? Does that make sense? I get what you're saying. And I'm not 100% sure of the answer. I know, like, Mm. especially with depression, repeated cannabis use can have a negative impact on SSRIs because it prevents the Basically, it blocks off the receptors that the SSRIs need to get to. So there has been like some cases where in- increased cannabis use can have like a negative effect on people that are using SSRIs to treat depression. As I understand it, because of the changes in brain chemistry um, for like a younger person that starts to use the drug, because it affects the development, because their brains aren't fully full- formed or developed until like your mid twenties, basically those changes might trigger the the illness down the road. It wouldn't cause it. Like you're not going to all of a sudden have a joint and then, you know, develop full <laughs> like have a bad trip. It, it, yeah. I think, and I think that that's where a lot of myths yeah. come from, right? Because like, it, it makes me think of that movie from, I think it was Re- the eight, early 70s. Well, no, the, the, no, that uh, there's that, but also like there's the, um, not just weed, but drugs in general, mm-hmm. LSD, you hear a lot of like urban legends mm-hmm. that, that, you know, when you were a teenager, you drop acid once and you right. end up in a mental institution mm-hmm. kind of a thing. It's mm-hmm. like the, the parental yeah. boogeyman. And, and there's, I, I always think of, there's a, some movie made for TV movie with Helen Hunt, mm-hmm. uh, a very young Helen Hunt where she does angel dust in a classroom. And then like, has a psychotic break, mm-hmm. like jumps out of a window and there's all these like kids like in a school building. And so all the other like school, like, you know, students look up and she's like, you know, it's like this really funny cut where she like takes it. And then the next shot is her like screaming oh and coming God, through I the window. And then she's on so the ground bad. going, ah, I know. Ah, mm-hmm. ah, you know, and it's like, and then she's in a padded room and it's one of those like made for TV, don't do drugs kind of thing. I need mm-hmm. to see this um, movie like right yeah, away. So- I know. It's a famous, if you Google Helen Hunt angel dust, I think you'll find it. <laughs> you know, like you do. <laughs> it just lodged. I saw it when I was really young and it like lodged mm-hmm. in my brain. But I, even then I was like, this is hilarious. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, so it's a tough thing. I mean, it's part of the reason why like the drinking age is like 21 years old at this point, aside from being like, you know, we don't want kids to have fun. It's because of like brain development and like alcohol use and marijuana use can have like a negative impact on developing brains. So I, you know, I remember having this discussion with some of the kids, like when I was interning at a high school, like they were like, well, what are your thoughts on like legal marijuana? And I would talk to like juniors and seniors and say like, I think you should be able to do it. Like, I think it's less dangerous overall than alcohol is to be quite honest, but I do, here are some of the risks and here's why, like, if you can, I would hold off. And I say this as a person, like, I'm pretty open about, like, if I'm not completely straight edge, I am like 99% straight edge. Like, I will occasionally have like a drink or two and that's about it. Like, I don't smoke. I've been clear in like my oh God, I'm going to be sound like such a square right now, but my disdain of like weed culture, basically. <laughs> and I will say, kids, wait till you're in your 30s and everything is awful. And then, then start do doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's when you need yeah. it. Like once you're like yeah. paying taxes, 
and have like a career that you hate like that's when you need the shit yeah, that's when exactly it helps your then, brain like, not itch at night then i mean absolutely like stuff mushrooms in every orifice that you can and just enjoy life and i will say there are there there you know there are a lot of actually therapeutic benefits to psychedelics, to psychedelics yes. and stuff but it, it is all about doing it them right mm-hmm. and doing it with a guided uh guided practitioner uh it's all about set and setting i think that the quote war on drugs and and this country's puritanical yes. take on psychedelics and stuff did a way more damage and there's actually a huge amount of psych you know psychotropic therapeutic benefit mm-hmm. to the psychedelic class of drugs mm-hmm. and even weed is interesting like there's i could go on yeah. about this but i again highly recommend the book how to change your mind by michael Pollan. if you want to mm. go down that yeah. rabbit hole a bit more <laughs> i mean the i i don't you know my my take on like drugs is not from like a hey punish persons that use it it's just a personal preference yeah, like totally. I, I would say like do whatever makes you like completely happy but don't do it at the expense of like me having to hear about it all the time that's pretty much (laughs) pretty much where i'm coming on that so all right i've derailed the topic (laughs) welcome back to drug corner (laughs) um so schizophrenia like when does it develop generally in the late teens to mid-20s for men late 20s to early 30s for women that's when symptoms you would usually when they would start to appear uh, early signs to look out for can be difficult, especially for guys, because it's basically typical teen development. Like it looks like teen drama a lot of the times. Like, mm. so if your kid, kid might not be a dick, they might be schizophrenic. Uh, it rhymes. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> but, wow. So I'm in an, I've got my second dose of the vaccine today, listener. So I'm in a euphoric <laughs> mood today so um but rhymes and all yeah look for don't be a schizophrenic sorry (laughs) oh love it that's the bumper can can we title the episode that (laughs) look for a combination of factors like sudden difficulty in concentrating paranoia like really sudden shifts in like friendship or peer groups negligence and appearance indoor hygiene which again it's just typical teenage stuff. So I think it needs to be right. like really dramatic. Well, and so that's interesting because what you were talking about with one out of a hundred people mm-hmm. being like suffering from this or having this. And I wonder if sometimes it's just the symptoms are so mild that we don't know. Because yeah. like I've heard that said about the autism spectrum too. Like if the spectrum were wider, all of us would be on it. And, you know. It's just perception, you know? Um, We talked about symptomology last week, but a quick refresher. There's positive symptoms like hallucinations and delusions. One of those must be present for the diagnosis of schizophrenia. Negative symptoms can mirror uh, those of depression, like a real sudden lack of desire in engaging in familiar activities or like kind of unplugging from the world around you. Um, Finally, there are cognitive symptoms to look out for, like memory difficulties uh, or sudden disorganized thinking. The good news is like 70% of first episode patients experience full remission of psychotic signs in about three to four months, and 80% achieve stable remission after a year. Can I ask what an episode would consist of? That's when like you're, how long? That's when you, if they, for the diagnosis, it needs to be like over six months. Like you need to be exhibiting these symptoms for six months or longer for a uh, full blown okay. diagnosis of schizophrenia. So okay, so it's not just like hearing something once and that's like Correct. an episode. An episode would be a prolonged yeah. mm-hmm. like okay, that would be it. Yeah. 
And then like in terms of like treatment, it's often treated with basically antipsychotic medications. The most commonly prescribed ones are going to be things like Thorazine. Uh, and in cases where the schizophrenia has been treatment resistant, uh, clozapine. Um, there can be side effects. The most common is tardive dyskinesia, which is when you can see, you know, I think again, when we talk about stigma in this illness, I think often you think of the person that has like involuntary tics or muscle twinges or their like jaw starts working. That can be a mm -hmm. side effect of this kind of medication, which is one of the downsides of it. And I did a little bit of like research, like what sort of like, how would you treat a person with schizophrenia and there are basically like three phases of it there is going to be like the acute phase the stabilization phase and the stable phase um any number like antipsychotics and therapy are basically usually used in conjunction with one another and there are a number of different counseling disciplines um, including like carl rogers person-centered therapy, um, group therapy can be very effective, and cognitive behavioral therapy can be very effective in treating schizophrenia. So treatment in the acute phase, like this is basically when the a client is exhibiting like a full-blown episode, you want to, number one, evaluate for reasons for the onset of the episode. For example, is there any medication not adherence going on? Has there been like a le uh, recent stressful life, life event that has occurred? You want to assess the risk factors for the client, build a safety plan, and with the permission of the client, if they can give that consent, work with the family or other important persons in their life in order to determine like what's going on, what may have triggered it, and how do we want to help this person going forward. You want to reduce or remove triggers like stressful relationships, environmental factors, or life events that can put the person further back in their treatment. And then you want to um, initiate antipsychotic medication as soon as it's safe to do so. Moving on to the stabilization phase when the symptoms start to lower at that point uh, and the person is kind of like basically like out of that um, showing symptoms of it. You want to provide supports for the client that's going to help prevent relapse. You want to work with them on adapting to life stressors uh, and what can be done to reduce symptoms and to remove triggers from them. And also like give the client education, like what the outcomes are for the illness. And of course, like why you, taking their medication and adherence to treatment is so vital. What often happens that I was guilty of this when I had a diagnosis of depression was basically you get the medication, you stop feeling depressed, and then you stop taking the medication, and then it returns again. You know, mm. In my case, I basically put on 40 pounds that I still haven't removed, so I probably won't take that medication again. But they're, they're like, hey, you really don't want to do that. Like, you're not necessarily fine. So in the case of, like, something like schizophrenia, like, you want to really in part the reasons why like medication adherence is going to be so important to the person and then lastly there is the stable phase and that's when like basically you're in the remission phase you kind of want to monitor that remission you want to focus on what you can do to improve the client's quality of life you want to treat if there's any increase in symptoms if they start to re-emerge or redevelop you want to treat those symptoms immediately so that way there's no relapse. 
And there's also like in the cases of persons that need help with, you know, basically need like life skills training as well, because that can happen with this is you want to have like psychosocial um, supports as well, whether that's support and employment, family intervention, so social skills training, uh, and cognitive therapy. All of those can be helpful to the person who's in the stable phase so that they don't relapse. So. So if someone were having the onset of an episode, their first episode, and they did not seek treatment, would that, do you think that it would resolve on its own or would it just keep spiraling and spiraling and spiraling? Both are possible. Okay. Yeah. And the reason I ask, and we're getting a little into the movie, but because um, they mentioned that Wyatt has heard things before, like they allude to the fact that this has been happening before. So I'm wondering if it's like, minor episodes would crop up like not getting crossing the threshold to seek treatment or mm -hmm. something so okay interesting um thank you for uh breaking all that stuff down i think yeah. it's really really interesting and like i think there is a lot of stigma and a lot of misunderstanding mm -hmm. about this um and we last time we talked about reaching out for um your experiences and I say you to listeners like if you wanted to share personal experiences with this and we got two that we want to share and the first one is from Cameron and Cameron writes I happen to have some experiences as a witness to schizophrenia my sister's father is afflicted with it Charlie is a gentle agreeable guy when he's on his meds which is most of the time but once in a while he gets it in his head that he doesn't need them and goes off the deep end which is what we were talking mm -hmm. about um, it's happened a number of times over the years in a familiar pattern he's okay for so long that we almost forget what his not okay looks like and that's always when it comes round again then it's a few month period of weird fixation incessantly repeated mantras like where are we at with me being a man around here music blasting off the stereo at all hours of the night sitting up while he sleeps when at last he does sleep things like that my mom always manages to reel him back in but it's a regiment of persuasion that takes a long time to work and is highly sensitive um, when I first saw his illness act up the sheer terror of it was quite harrowing but after a while it gets to be exhausting more than anything else he's doing all right at the moment though actually this might be the longest he stuck it out with med so he's doing very well in fact so great glad to hear that at the end thank you Cameron so much for sharing that with us thanks Cameron thank you Cameron and I have uh, another note from listener Ben and I will preface this by saying um, you know we're going to unpack this mm -hmm. a little bit after I read the comment so this jumps off talking about um, Annie's presentation in Hereditary and how we discussed it in our last mm -hmm. episode. So again, go back and listen to that episode for more context. Um, I never thought of Annie as suffering from schizophrenia. Severe grief reaction, major depression, maybe even with psychotic features, PTSD, but not schizophrenia, mostly because in all my training and clinical experience, and I should have said before I started, he is a clinical practitioner. Um, it's extremely rare to see a person with schizophrenia that high functioning. I remember my lecture in grad school about it. Schizophrenia can be remembered by the four A's along with extreme impairment and social functioning. Peter, for example, certainly looks like a young man experiencing his first break. And that is a terrifying thing to experience and witness. I remember taking my intern with me to a home visit with a client who suffered from schizophrenia. Her cat had just died. She was talking about being sad and missing it, but it almost looked like she was smiling. I believe she was sad, just that her brain didn't know how to have her non-verbally convey that. My poor intern was a little shook up. 
when looked at through this lens, Annie's presentation in the group therapy scene almost makes sense. Hmm. I think what I want to get at is this idea that you can or cannot be high functioning if you have something like schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Mike, I'm curious for your thoughts on that. Yeah. And I think we talked like a little bit about like when you're in that acute phrase and the, and you're experiencing like not mild, but massive symptoms of it, then I would say that I could understand like if you're treating someone in that clinical setting and they're having a full blown outbreak of it, I can see where the presentation of someone like Annie and hereditary wouldn't be the experience there. But I think it's important to realize there are different phases and not also not everybody experiences the same level levels of symptomology. It's partly, I think, in cases that I'm not saying this is the case with uh, our listener, Ben, but I'm saying the cases of like stigma comes in and we, Matt, when we think of schizophrenia, um, I know uh, like Margot Kidder who mm -hmm. played Lois mm -hmm. Lane in the Superman movies, like I think she was even like the punchline of like a Robin Williams joke uh, about her breakdown uh, in her, into mental illness where she was found like really disheveled and kind of wandering. Um, she would go on before passing to be like a real strong advocate for like mental health and mental health awareness. Um, and it's also <laughs> one of my massive yes, crushes. Yes, she also our 70s. Black Christmas episode. That's either here or there. Yes, <laughs> she, she's amazing. And she was actually the butt of a lot of jokes, you know, back, yeah. even even I remember as a child yeah. um, hearing things that I, and I think I, I remember asking my mom like, what? And after hearing something and she was like, oh, you know, I can't remember exactly what she said, but that was the common perception. Like she's hmm. crazy, you know, which just unfortunately yeah. adds to the yeah. stigma around this, so. Yeah. So there are like, I know like when I've treated and I don't have a ton of experience treating schizophrenic clients, but the ones I had were like, for the most part, like very high functioning, like they held jobs, they um, were able to have like other relationships in their life that weren't so direly effective. But I think what we saw like is that pattern of disordered thinking and also like in the case of one case, it was hallucinations, they were auditory. And in the other case, there was a lot of delusional thinking. And in some cases that delusional thinking also presented itself in a way that pretty much made the person like not responsible for their behavior. They got in a, a incident where they like cause a lot of like physical damage to a person's property and would refer to it as the accident. I'm like, oh no, like an accident is when you're checking your phone and you rear end somebody. Like what you did is actually, you know, you made a conscious mm -hmm. decision to go out there and do this. That is not an accident mm -hmm. at that point. There are differences. But, you know, unless you got into certain topics, you would not know that the person was like suffering from schizophrenia. And again, it just might've been where they were at, at that time and at that level with the medication mm -hmm. they were receiving. So there's not one way that it really presents itself. Yeah. So. yeah I think the, the interesting thing that I'm getting, one of the things that I'm taking away is that a person that is suffering schizophrenia mm -hmm. is not always exhibiting these symptoms like we see Wyatt not to move into the movie but we yeah. see him just engaging with Christian and just like hanging out and being I don't want to say normal but like and then he kind of flips into hearing these mm -hmm. hallucinations and I might be getting a little more into the movie so I'll, I'll yeah. save that for just a minute yeah we're, we're gonna are. get it 
That's right. Yeah, that's up next. But first, I want to say thank you so much to Ben and Cameron for sharing your experiences. That's something that we're going to be trying to incorporate a little bit more into the show. So um, and I also want to say we will never share anything that you do not give us express permission to share, too. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. Um, All right. So because I just can't help myself. um, Now let's dig into the movie. And I love that we are doing this one. And hereditary, because I feel like hereditary schizophrenia in that movie is kind of more of an interpretation and a reading. But here it is very clear. It's mentioned like um, it is definitely a factor and they look like people. So I'm really interested to talk about this. And I want to, I think, start with a quote I found from the filmmaker Perry Blackshear, um, because he intended to make this a movie about schizophrenia sorry Corey's it's tax season so Corey's gonna come up here and work right now so um well it's always nice to see a little cameo oh yeah that's right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. a little Corey Corey peeking around anyways so I found a quote from Perry Blackshear because he he does from what I got he does not suffer from schizophrenia and he doesn't have personal experience but he had an experience that he wanted to share and so that was the intention of this movie so here's the quote I did a lot of research into schizophrenia after being inspired by this video about a virtual reality simulator that you could put on and feel what it would be like to be schizophrenic. I saw it when I was younger, and it was the scariest thing by far that I have ever seen. The fact that you could never know when it would be on or off. The waking nightmare part of it was so frightening. And the more research I did, the more people went through was more scary than anything I could ever come up with. And I think, like... I am really, really impressed with the way he put this movie together because I think a lesser filmmaker would treat this like a quote-unquote horror movie. And I think he Mm -hmm. really never forgets that Wyatt is a real person and that this is just as terrifying to Wyatt as it is to everyone around Wyatt. And I really appreciate that. And I think he started from the mindset of wanting to understand this, how it feels and how scary it is. And I think that made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love that. Like, that's, I'm not to keep talking about my shitty, mediocre filmmaking, but that was like <laughs> oh. the goal of my short film that I made was to put someone in the viewer seat experience of what it's like to have very severe anxiety. Uh, so that, that was the whole point. And I like the, that. I think that horror as a genre is a really good, I think I've said this before, Trojan horse for getting some of those ideas across. And, and he took a really clever road into this experience and it's like something I've never seen before I've never seen it portrayed this way Mm -hmm. nor so effectively so I I, I love it and it's not a metaphor either you know which and I mean Mm -hmm. I love metaphors especially like Mm -hmm. we've talked about the Babadook but like it's not it's just this is what it is and this is scary and it's okay to say this is scary you know Mm -hmm. um so let's talk about Wyatt because Wyatt is suffering from He's suffering from schizophrenia. I hesitate because I don't want to diagnose him from afar, but I think it's it's pretty clear from the intention of the film that mm-hmm. and I think the the symptom that I first realized is the, the auditory hallucination is the big symptom and then delusions, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean it it does seem like the auditory hallucinations are what precipitate the you know the increasingly severe episode that he's experiencing. It I think it does at various points become full on visual hallucinations, but mm-hmm. um that's you know and they use those sound effects to such a that such a effective degree the opening shot of him laying in bed and just looking at the face of his fiance which is hidden in shadow and we just start to hear 
those flies buzzing and that clicking and, and that, that really just puts you in his, you know, uh, puts you in his shoes from the first moment forward and, and are making you as the viewer experience the symptoms he's experiencing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. another thing that I really enjoyed, and I'm going, I shouldn't say enjoyed, I'm going to link another article that talks about this, but how loud it is sometimes and how as the viewer, it's hard to hear what the person is saying to him. And I think that is another really good way of like kind of showing how disorienting this might be to experience, mm -hmm. you know, because it mm -hmm. does like, yeah. and especially as a person I'm really noise sensitive so sometimes those sounds really get to mm -hmm. me and it's like you just want it to stop you just want it to stop you know mm -hmm. yeah and there are like the other auditory hallucinations he has is he's having he's hearing his mm -hmm. phone ring when obviously it's not ringing in the middle of the night I think they even show like the phone is broken mm -hmm. at one point like they show the case and it looks pretty cracked unless maybe I, I saw I didn't that wrong that, but... um but he's He's having like full-blown conversations with multiple mm -hmm. persons at odd hours of the night. Um, and that also taps into the delusional thinking as well, where he believes that he is somehow special, that he is one of the chosen like soldiers really that's going to fight this war against this kind of invisible enemy as well. So you're seeing how this how he's really in the middle of this a full-blown episode at this mm -hmm. point uh or what we're seeing here um in the movie and i, I did want to ask i know in the last episode we discussed schizophrenia not typically being associated with violence and that that's like a really common misconception um so if i if i did have mm -hmm. one criticism of the film it is and it's more of a question than a criticism i'm like is the story perpetuating mm -hmm. that idea a little bit i'm curious what you both think of that and it and i will say in this story, it's really more his potential for violence. It's it's a, it's a looming yeah. threat yeah. that he might either kill himself or kill the people around him with this mm -hmm. assortment of weapons that he has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I forgive it because at the end of the day, it's a genre film and you need right. some sort of action that's going to drive the, the plot forward. Yes. But I also think within everybody, there's a tremendous capacity for violence. Like all of us, mental yeah. illness or no, like there is that just innate, our nature is violent by nature, mm -hmm. I think. So I, I like to say naughty by nature, but I agree yes. with you. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just saying okay. this right now. <laughs> so, uh, we are all done with OPP here. Yes, so, yes you know me. Um, it's oppositional put no, never mind. I, okay. I did not mean to derail this no, with stupid fine. jokes. Okay. Are you down with ODD oppositional? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Flashback to our Kevin so, episode. Yes. <laughs> but I would say like no, because I just think that it's like part of the nature of like you need to have some sort of action in the filmmaking. And I don't I don't feel like especially with this movie that black shear is doing anything exploitative at all yeah um, i agree and there is like i mean there are you know and, and like i said most of the time persons that suffer from mental illness will be the victims of violence rather th rather than perpetrate it but you know that's not like a 100 to 1 ratio like it basically there are you know again one of the persons i work with when he had that psychotic break like he was very violent Mm -hmm. and that was part of the reason I was seeing him. Yep. Well, and one of the things, because I read an article that criticized the scene on the roof with the nail gun, um, mm -hmm. and I 
I looked at that, like, especially the second time I watched it, knowing that he does not actually hurt anyone throughout the course of the film. I read that as him really fearing that he would. You know, I think mm -hmm. I kind of saw that a lot more the second time from his point of view. And I think it they the film really balances it, though, because he puts the nail gun in his own mouth and he's about to, mm -hmm. like, shoot it through his hand. So I feel like there's that threat of being violent to himself balanced with the threat of being violent to other people, no. too, which I think kind of counterbalances that stigma yeah. a little bit you know yeah mm -hmm. i and i'm always i'm skeptical of criticisms like that because of like what would you have the filmmaker do like how would you portray it like what sort mm -hmm. of tension are you trying to build in the movie and i think there's a yeah. difference between this and i know like we've talked about wanting to cover silence of the lambs and when we do we're obviously going to cover some of the stigma that was in really the harm it did to the trans community and i think there's a difference there you know i think there's a difference between what a movie what a movie like that does versus just like there has to be some sort of like dramatic tension in a yeah. movie yeah otherwise it's it. otherwise it would be a drama or it would have yeah. or just be a movie with no momentum mm -hmm. i do agree yeah. and that's kind of why i wanted to talk about it is i felt a little flicker of that criticism mm -hmm. in my brain but i was also like I don't think it's that bad. I think it sort of needs to be there to drive the the plot of the film. Yeah. So I don't know. Also, yeah. it's real, you know? Like yeah. it's yeah. not like it's not a symptom of this. So, yeah. And you know. I think honest to God, this is something that like persons would do and have done short of like the topic of schizophrenia come up. Like I think you've seen we've seen plenty of instances where a person has been like been up on a roof and maybe they're holding like a nail gun or maybe they're like holding like something that's not quite as lethal but they're like on a rooftop and they're like aiming down at the citizens and like imagining what would it be like you know mm -hmm. not to say that they ever would do that but it crosses their brain i mean like and again this is not like a one-to-one -one basis but who's been on a rooftop and just kind of like pointed out and then done like done finger guns at a person below the, and like the what's crushing going? crushing your with a little yeah. protective mm -hmm. trick when you take right. your two fingers and you go i'm crushing right. your head and crush your head what's what's going through your head at that moment i also think of like the moment in stephen king's book apt pupil mm -hmm. when like todd like before the end of the book when todd uh would bring his like rifle out to the overpass and clean it and then just aim it mm -hmm. at persons before like the very end of the book so yeah i i also think and i you we were describing this in the mental health topic section, this idea that sometimes like you're hearing things in, that are internal dialogue mm -hmm. in the voice of somebody that you know or something mm -hmm. along those lines and it kind of becomes dissociated from your internal thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I know that one of the, there's a thing that we we talked about it back in our very first, um, our second episode about uh, let's scare Jessica to death, the idea of intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, one of the signs of um, OCD is these intrusive thoughts that can kind of, they, they come into your head and they're not things you want to do or that you have any intention to do, but you're like, what if I, you know, fell down the stairs? What if I pushed this person down yeah. the stairs? Things what if like I that. jumped off the roof? you know right mm -hmm. exactly and it's like they there is absolutely no intention to do that thing and i'm starting to wonder now if like skip that could be an element of schizophrenia that we are seeing here is that those thoughts that kind of become intrusively come into your head become interpreted as commands yeah mm -hmm. from an exterior force you know uh and that, that, i don't know i don't know if that's correct or not it's just something that clicked to i think me it's fascinating no I, I yeah like if it cross i think if it if it crosses 
the border from becoming like a thought just that just popped into your head. So I think the way you put it like a command that has to be obeyed. And then I think then you're crossing that you're potentially crossing the threshold at that point. That's a really fascinating way to look at it. Well, and that's what I was thinking when you were talking about the excitatory thoughts and the inhibitory mm -hmm reactions mm -hmm. i probably messed up those terms but yeah is that because you you feel like we all get those kinds of things mm -hmm. you know and 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 i think this sort of pivots into the next point that i wanted to make which is you know they they show this but they they show you how much wyatt fears ha having this happen he doesn't yeah. want to commit violence he feels like he's being ordered to do something that he really has no interest in participating in but he feels like he has no choice because he really thinks the people around him are becoming infected by demons right and i think and what we we sort of said this earlier but what this movie does so well is how much it human humanizes wyatt and puts you in his headspace you know, upon first watch, if you don't really know what you're getting into with this movie and just knowing that it's a horror movie and what the title is, you may not be sure, you know, if this is really moving toward, oh, it's all actually real. There really yeah. are demons. I think you could easily think that until the end of the film. Yeah. And that is that is just such a stroke of genius and such a great way of generating empathy for his character. And, and you just, again, so rarely see that in, in movies. Like they, they are far more exploitative. You are meant to fear anthony perkins and psycho you are meant to fear buffalo bill and mm -hmm. this you are not you are meant to empathize with wyatt right mm -hmm. yeah because we mentioned apt pupil and the character's name's todd in that book like he is like a little shit who wants to hurt mm -hmm. people you know and i don't ever like that is not wyatt he is not no. it's almost like he's he's being commanded to essentially kill people who might be demons and i kind of got the sense of like could i actually do this and he's thinking through whether he will mm -hmm. actually be able to carry these orders out but yeah i think that it's it's a lot different than um like a yeah. joker type movie or something right. where like you feel yes. like there's the anger that is driving this and i don't get that right. at all i found it really one of the really fascinating things too was the one of the ways that why its illness impacted him was how quickly he could turn on a person mm -hmm. you saw this with like the psychiatrist Sorry, one of the cats is maybe trying to get out. Oh. Um, <laughs> I saw this with the psychiatrist where at some point when the doc, when the doctor says to him, sure, I want you to come into my office next week. And like one of Wyatt's triggers was like tight indoor enclosed spaces. How quickly at that point, all of a sudden, like the buzzing starts up. And when Wyatt looks over, I think you're given to think that he has seen the doctor is like now one of those persons. Mm -hmm. And when he first perceives that he gets a call from Mara, Mara is an ally telling him what needs to be done. And then because like he sees Mara as like Christian's girlfriend or mm -hmm. like someone that at very least like Christian and Mara are tightly aligned. And then after Christian has let go from his job, now Mara has been incapacitated. It's not just that like she's, not one of them at all, but she's actually been incapacitated and infiltrated by mm. the beings that he is seeing. So he believes her now to be one of them. Yeah. It's also after he takes her to the basement and she kind of rejects the premise. And then also like she hits him in the nose, you know, with her little uh, Krav, Krav Maga slash judo skills, you know. 
um, which I like about her. Yeah, mm-hmm. I dig. Yeah, Mara rules. She yeah, is, I like Mara. <laughs> I do, and yeah, and I want to talk about her in a little bit, um, yeah. and just mm-hmm. how she deals with all of this. Um, but yeah, that scene in the the psychi- with the psychiatrist when he turned around, like that's when I started to get really afraid for Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Like he is yeah. not going to be in control of these actions, mm-hmm. you know. And, and we also talked. I think. I, we both we may have talked about this in Hereditary, and I know we talked about it in our paranoia episodes. That one of the, the the problems with treating these conditions is that they sort of innately make you mistrust yeah. every mm-hmm. everyone up to and including authority figures, the like the doctors that would provide help for yeah. you. So there, he's really in that moment. He has a chance to, see, you know, receive treatment from someone who has his best interests at heart. But the the delusions make him see him as an enemy, and that's really oh. tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it reminds me of kind of some things we talked about with the paranoia, our paranoia episodes mm-hmm. is like you, it starts to snowball and once like some kind of f- switch gets flipped, it's hard, everything like confirms this story that you've right. created, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in and, and the first few um, diagnostic manuals, like it was considered paranoid schizophrenic, like the two mm-hmm. were right. more immediately linked to one another um paranoia and schizophrenia were more intimately related and i think you even still to this day i think hear the phrase like in colloquial terms like you know paranoid schizophrenic like you still Mm -hmm. hear that all the time yeah and paranoia can be a feature of schizophrenia because absolutely it can also be a feature of bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and all sorts of things anxiety yeah yeah. well Mm -hmm. and the the scene with the psychiatrist i really appreciated a lot more on my second watch knowing what was going to happen with his journey because he's talking about um he did some research on schizophrenia he's like I I don't think I really have it and I think that's where you kind of see the seeds of how afraid he is that this is Mm going to be a part of his life and that this is go and I'm just so glad that he has this support from Christian because I just can't imagine how terrifying that would be you know like there well yeah go ahead what, what hit me when watching that scene again, a, a few different things hit me. Like, number one, how long has Wyatt been in New York? Because it seemed like he had a pretty intimate relationship with that psychiatrist, with mm-hmm. that. So it wasn't like it was their first or second session. And also, like, for the for the doctor to basically be meeting Wyatt on his own terms, like, oh, you'd be more comfortable meeting in a wide open space. Like, yeah. the therapeutic relationship had progressed enough at that point where that's like, great. If that's where you want to meet, like that's where we'll meet. So, and I'm not saying that it takes years to get to that level, but I would say probably a good, like at least half dozen sessions or so, but yeah. also like how long had be, because my understanding was that he's from North Carolina because mm-hmm, they so. mentioned NC at a couple points. So had he been like wandering or like living in New York or in the outskirts of it for long until he finally got the courage to look up his friend? Like, is that so I don't know, or was it just you needed to get that scene in the movie and like maybe we're digging a little bit too much into the weeds? Like, I don't know. No, I think I like that reading, you know? Because I think it's clear there's no friends that he's supposed to go, you oh, know, yeah. and Christian susses that out pretty quickly. Yeah, he definitely is just wandering around with a duffel bag with nowhere mm-hmm. to go. Like, right. that is 100% for sure. I read it as this is probably me projecting some of this stuff, but I read it as he was like the family's doctor and that mm-hmm. they had a his history. You know, I definitely think they had a pre-existing relationship mm-hmm. before this first session. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because he's referring to like, it seems like he knows uh, what a lot of these symptoms are. They've clearly mm-hmm. discussed this before. This is not an intake yeah. session. 
Um, yeah, and I read it as something that was cropping back up, so he was getting back in touch. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I don't think that they make it clear. But the thing that we do see is him getting a, what is it? He's getting a prescription that he throws so away? He gets a, he, basically, what he gets is a card. He's like, yeah. when I would see a client, like what I usually do is like, hey, if we're in person, like you just write down on like your card, like here's the next day in time that we're meeting. Mm -hmm. So it's basically his appointment card, like come in next Wednesday at 10 a.m., Mm. And that's what, like, why it throws out at that point, so. Yeah, and I think that's why they were meeting at this kind of obscure location. Mm. It's not very traditional. It's because they had that pre-existing relationship. And he was mm. like, I know you're going through some shit. Let's just meet at the lake. And then I'll try and talk you into mm. actually coming in for an appointment. Yeah. 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 And that's what triggers, that's what triggers his distrust at that point. Yeah. Mm. And I, oh, go ahead, Jen. Sorry, what what is it that triggers wanting him to come into the office yes. in that enclosed mm -hmm. space? Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I I kind of want to talk about that maybe a little bit later because they mention going to another therapist later on, mm -hmm. and I think it's just like if that's something that he doesn't feel comfortable with seeking treatment, like it's okay to say this is not the therapist that I would want to see. Mm -hmm. Although I guess that would be a balancing act between like, yes, but you need to see somebody. And if you're not going to see anybody else, you know, well, I think what, and we can talk about this because I think that it's, he's more open to the idea when Christian suggests it. Yeah. Because I think he really does trust Christian and that yeah. sort of speaks to the importance of a support system and having someone that will push you mm -hmm. to seek help, not force you, but just push you a little bit and do some of the logistical work for you. Like I called, mm -hmm. I called my therapist for you. I made that appointment yeah. for you is what mm -hmm. Christian does, knowing that he probably doesn't have his shit together enough at that moment to, to, to take that step. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, I've seen this therapist. I know this therapist. You know, this right. therapist yeah. helped me. So, so I guess let's move into Christian and Christian's yeah. support. Sure. So. I mean, I just think that this really speaks to the importance of support systems yeah. for people with any kind of mental health issues, um, especially when they are this severe. I, I genuinely find their friendship and this relationship really moving. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, especially because they're so these, they're just kind of like these two schmucks. So, you know, and, it, and it's not dramatized in any way. Christian really proves to be kind of almost a saintly figure in this scenario. He really doesn't waver. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of, you know, his own experiences with mental health struggles and his love for his friend. He really mm -hmm. is there for him in a very powerful way. And as a side note, you know, and I don't, you know, I'll just say this really quickly. We don't need to unpack it too much so we can keep talking about Christian. This really led me to think about the prevalence of schizophrenia and other mental illnesses among the homeless population mm -hmm. and just how badly this population is in need of support. I really do believe that we see so much psychosis in the homeless population specifically in part because these are people who had this deadly combination of mental illness and no support system, right? right? It's not because they're homeless. It doesn't make them bad in some way. Uh, according to uh, a meta-analysis in the publication BMC Psychiatry, in the homeless population, 21.1% experience psychosis and 10.29% have schizophrenia. Compare that yeah. to that number you cited earlier, one in 100, that is significantly higher in that mm -hmm. population. And I just have one final quote here from another um, foundation called the Brain and Behavior Research Foundation. Most researchers agree that the connection between homelessness and mental illness is a complicated two-way relationship. An individual's mental illness may lead to cognitive and behavioral problems that make it difficult to earn a stable income or to carry out daily activities in ways that encourage stable housing. 
Several studies have shown, however, that individuals with mental illnesses often find themselves homeless primarily as the result of poverty and a lack of low-income housing. And, you know, that sort of, I mean, it's like if you don't have access, equitable access to mental health services, if your whole family is have, dealing with their own shit and dealing with poverty, it makes it so hard. Like Christian offers Wyatt a home, you yeah. know, Wyatt pretty much was homeless, you know, right. and Chris, you know, so, so Christian's support of him is so powerful in more ways than one. Yeah. And I just, I, this is just something I'm really passionate about. And, and I think this is such a touching story that really shows how having a support system can really save your life. It can. Yeah. And so Mike, you talked about those life skills earlier. And I think when I tend to think of life skills, I think of it as being like, um, for people with like maybe cognitive disabilities or somebody mm -hmm. that like needs to be reminded of basic things. But I think this is this, that would be a form of like life skills of like just managing your day-to-day -day things so that you can stay in a stable environment or finding yourself a support system that can. And I agree, Christian, just, I, I love him in this movie. And I, when I was watching this and I don't know if it's because I had the title, Daniel isn't real in my head. Mm -hmm. I just, I kept convincing myself that one of them wasn't real. And I kept oh, going back suck. and forth. I know I was like, and I'm so glad that it ended the way it did, because I think it's really just it shows such a realistic way that this could be dealt with. But yeah, Christian, the moment and I wrote it down in my notes and I'm going to see if I can find it because I almost started crying when he said it's like, I don't believe what you believe but I know you believe it. So what mm -hmm. do we do? And it was just that moment, that support of this. Is, I know this is real to you, you know, and that's one of the things that I have talked about in therapy a lot of times is like, it's not necessarily somebody believing or not believing. It's just believing that it really does feel that way in your head, like saying, no. yes, this is valid. These thought processes are real and you're experiencing real pain because of them. And I am going to support you because I know that it's real to you, you know, even if it's not real in the, the larger world. And just hearing him say that was like, oh, that that's like, that's yeah. what I want to hear, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. I mean, it's Christian himself is just, I mean, I, I do love this character. I fell in love with both of them, but he is, mm -hmm. he's very like a very lonely character. His loneliness yeah. seems very essential to him and he's yeah. very sweet, sweet. Like the reveal, like he's listening to those self-help tapes and kind of working out and doing all that stuff to sort of, as we learn, basically recover from having had a major depressive episode and a suicide mm -hmm. attempt. Um, he's the reveal, though, that those self-help tapes are recordings made by his ex-fiance is genuinely mm -hmm. heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wonder if, you know, the pain that he went through is the reason he's able to be such a good friend to Wyatt. And I just wrote mm -hmm. in my notes, the purifying fire of despair. <laughs> yeah. What is that uh, thing he's melting? What is that? Oh, I don't know. I, rem I remember watching that and being like, what the hell is that? And it's then I never... Though. It was a grape tomato. Oh, so it's just like a thing he had in his hand. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yep. Interesting. And then he tries um, to like push him, push the pain on his finger. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think like one of the things I caught this time too, like one of the lines that reveal was like heartbroken. And that's when I first saw this movie is what brought me over to Christian's side, like realizing that those like kind of broy tapes or those kind of like new agey like tapes mm -hmm. that he was listening to were like his ex fiance reading it but he has a line like a blink if you miss it line where he's like well then i'm going to be a daddy mm -hmm. so the way i kind of interpreted it this time around was like his fiance had a miscarriage and mm -hmm. i think like the yeah. Gr yeah and the grief of that is what kind of drove them apart from one another which made it all the more kind of 
heartbreaking at that point. You know, and like I think you said, like Lara, that he's such a lonely, vulnerable character, and he puts on it's not even a front, but like his like you know like yeah you know I just like dominated work now, and he has this idea of like just being an alpha male in not in a way where he's like cruel to other people, but he's going to carry himself like he gives every new woman that comes to the office like a bottle of peach schnapps as like a welcoming welcoming gift mm-hmm. and like one of the um assistants like clues Mara in like hey by the way that bottle that you got like he gives it to all the women don't think you're special like he's hitting on you mm-hmm. but yeah, he... it's definitely like he read the secret and is trying yeah. to manifest yes. a version of himself mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is like not who he really is mm-hmm. yeah because he has that moment with mara in the stairs where he's like don't flatter yourself you know but it's in response to yeah. her saying a weird thing because he was yeah. like too nervous to kiss her so it's like it's like he really wants to be this alpha but he just can't quite do it because he's a good person you yeah know? He, right. he he definitely like went too far in that response and you see like the hurt in her face at that point too like Mm -hmm. she was waiting for him to make a move and then made a little awkward statement and then he interprets probably he's used to being rejected yeah i would Mm -hmm. say like so he just like that was like a definite defense mechanism Mm -hmm. the other thing is like when um he's fired and someone puts that note on his monitor like way to dominate asshole yeah it that like it felt so soul crushing yeah. you know he didn't seem like he was a jerk to his co-workers he just might have been a little bit insufferable with that talk every yeah. time totally. again yeah. but like i'm just, working out a lot i'm you know i'm dominating yeah. man like that guy you could just know like that guy would yeah. piss you off at the office you right. know and i like that they show this multi-dimensional aspect to him like he's not a perfect person he but he's not a total asshole he's just very human and you under and, and every little thing that they show you you get why yeah. he is the way he is yeah and you had mentioned the googling like he's googling the first thing you see is like how do you ask out your boss uh, <laughs> yeah. which is really kind of funny but then also like when christian i'm oh, sorry when wyatt comes to him number one he immediately like reads the situation it's like oh yeah like i'm on a date tonight but she was bringing a friend so like you and then he immediately is like well now i gotta text her like he doesn't even think about like how this is going to affect his chance with like this girl he's obviously tried to get with for a long time his immediate impulse is like hey my friend is here i can obviously tell something is wrong how do i make it right by him but also like you see him he like looks up like how do you help a friend that's in need of help like Mm because he's not 100 percent sure what to do so he goes to the internet like what can i do Mm-hmm. And and I just want to say that's such a good filmmaking touch too. It's mm-hmm. it's the essence of like they teach they teach you in like writing and like creative writing classes like show don't tell mm-hmm. you know yeah. Um, and instead of having like some exposition or you know God forbid narration of his thoughts or something like that, they do these little things that are like yeah, I'm just googling this article and it tells you everything about him. Yeah, and I fucking like it's just such good writing and such yeah. good filmmaking. Yeah. The the other moment I really like is and you mentioned um, Jen when he's like this isn't real to me, but I know it's real to you and I want to help. But even before that, like when Wyatt has his first kind of meltdown in front of Christian and to the point where it could very quickly become violent, Christian doesn't react. He doesn't try to calm him down. He doesn't try to tell him it's okay. He doesn't engage. He just basically lets Wyatt get it out. (laughs) The rabbit just moved her litter box like literally two feet for some reason. Just like, <laughs> decided she was going to move it. The he pets just, are restless tonight. Yeah. Oh my goodness. He just lets him get it out and is very stoic. He's very calm. 
and he doesn't let the situation like escalate yeah uh, which i think is a really good way to handle it and a really good way to diffuse what could potentially be a violent uh violent situation so i really like that watching mm-hmm. it. yeah he like walks him through the steps of like selling these weapons which i was mm-hmm. like this but never in like a shaming way you yeah. know we're never in like oh thank god i got this yeah. away from you now you stay over there until i get rid of it you know it's just he's like walking him through these steps he's like okay here's what we need mm-hmm. to do because he's treating wyatt like a human being you yeah. know mm-hmm. which i think is what makes the difference you know yeah and he he knows that something is wrong he might not know to the extent of it but he obviously knows like my friend is experiencing something right now so like when he's like oh hey i happen to notice like you were on the phone at like four o'clock in the morning and there's nothing accusatory of it there's mm-hmm. like you said jen there's no shame in it um but it's more like he's asking like these probing questions to try to get a feel for like what's going on with my friend right now yeah yeah just like take notes. That's how you be. <laughs> I want to be like Christian. <laughs> right. Well, and okay. So this is, I, I want to talk about the ending of this too, because mm-hmm. you could argue that maybe he is too trusting of Wyatt because I mean, yeah. he almost gets a bunch of acid poured on his head. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there's luck involved in that, but there's also like, okay, I guess the question I want to ask is what should Christian do? Is he doing the right thing? Is he being too trust or trustful? What should he do in this position, you know? So the phrase trust but verify exists for a reason. <laughs> I would not let my friend tie me up. No, that's and a then step put too a bag hard. in my head. That would be but again, I mean, like it's a horror movie, so yes, we true, allow yeah. for it. And that yes. scene is so I mean, no. I remember thinking like he's gonna get we're gonna see a head melt, like all the money of the budget. Is yeah. gone to this moment. Right. You know what I mean? Like, That's when I had to stop and get... Google. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's one of the most fraught. Even watching it, knowing how it ends, I was like literally mm-hmm. like my fists were clenched. I just felt like nauseous because yeah. it's just like, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, but I agree. There's certain things you permit in this movie for the sake of the dramatic tension, you yeah. know, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, don't, don't let anybody tie right. you up unless it's a consenting uh, sexual situation. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Because he's, he's so chipper about it. He's so like, sure, tie me up. Like he suggests it. He's like, how much time before this goes down? Six minutes. Great. Tie me up. Yeah. Part of me wondered, because, you know, he alluded to, ha- you know, having a suicide attempt that there's some part of him that's kind of just doesn't really care. You know, mm-hmm. there's yeah. still a part of him that is so, you know, not and he's just lost his job and stuff like that. I think he's, you know, I think he's got a little bit of the fuck it mindset going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll, I'll do anything to help my friend because I care about him more than myself in this moment. And I think that sort of speaks to their in some ways they are sharing this episode, you know, yeah. they are both mm-hmm. really going, going through it and um, it ends up being really beautiful, but it could have easily been absolutely mm-hmm. horrible. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Do I think, think there's that... a little bit of a, like a um, challenging himself to like, can I conquer yes. this fear, you know, which he I, does I, even I, say that. Yeah. yeah. He does say that. yeah. And I like that reading into his art. Cause he has this feeling of like, putting himself back together like slowly mm-hmm. like these are the systems he's built to make himself okay with who he is and what's happened to him which I think is why he can be such an effective ally for mm-hmm. or a support system for Wyatt but I mean yeah I hadn't thought about that that maybe this is a, a piece yeah. of his self-destruction you know of just kind of tempting fate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do we yeah. think the thunderclaps are real I thought no. they were but I didn't. I think you could easily read that they're not because that would be another auditory hallucination. That's what I took it as. 
Well, they specifically said thunderclaps on a clear, in a clear sky, and it was a clear mm-hmm. sky. And I don't think I saw. I don't think you see Christian kind of like perk up and go, "What was that?" Yeah, like was I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the camera's just on Wyatt when they're they're mm-hmm. r- ringing out, but I, I couldn't say that confidently. But I, yeah, I don't. I think it was just his, yeah. like he was just building up to that moment. Yeah. That reminded me of because I I just read that they were real, and I think the movie probably they're probably not, but I don't think it makes it clear. But I remember like when I was like really desperate to have like some kind of validation from boys or something. And I would tell mm-hmm. myself, okay, if I hear this song on the radio, that means he loves me, you know, and just kind of <laughs> these things that you set up in your brain that like probably are going to happen at some point, but you can mm-hmm. kind of convince yourself of this. I, I don't know if that's quite confirmation bias, but just that idea of like, this is feeding this narrative and I'm kind of setting myself up in this way mm-hmm. that it's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. It's a little bit of magical thinking, which yes. I think when you're younger, you kind of, especially, I mean, I think you do that because it's fun, you know? On some right. Level. And because what yeah. else are you going to do? You know, sometimes I'll do that with tarot cards and like I have to stop myself from just keeping going until I get the card that I want, you know, right. and exactly. just telling myself, oh, it's the universe, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Totally. Gosh, I feel like there was something else I wanted to say about Christian the at the card? end. The, oh, the nail gun freaked me out. Like hammers and nails. Like I, oh, just the shot of where he puts it like fully, fully oh, fillets God. the head of the nail gun and mm-hmm. then putting it over his hand. I was like, I, I know this is a movie and that they probably didn't actually have nails in there, but like, I would mm-hmm. be like, oh God, oh. no. <laughs> you know? yeah. And see, I think it's key that they show him doing that first before we see him go up on the roof, because I think that's the sympathy that you have for him to see him put it in his mouth. And, mm-hmm. and I think we, you know, we talked a little bit about this in the hereditary episode, but I mean, there is a big element of suicide here and not just with Christian because I think that's a symptom of depression for him Mm -hmm. but I think that is something is that something that people with schizophrenia are more likely to do is to attempt suicide or self-harm I think that there yes there there are higher rates of suicide within the schizophrenic population but a lot of it is because that they're rational thinking has become so impaired and i read that differently with wyatt's actions like wyatt very much knows that he's carrying this burden uh and he's not quite sure and he says like there's something wrong with me i don't think Mm -hmm. it's schizophrenia um because he had done a lot of research on his own but he knows that there is clearly something wrong with his thinking and that it's disordered the reason why there's a higher prevalence of like suicidal ideation and attempts within this population is more because of the disordered thinking and with Wyatt it's a little bit different he's like I know that something is wrong with my brain I don't know how to fix it therefore I don't want to carry this pain anymore and I also I don't want to hurt somebody else like he has all these weapons laid out but there's also like he knows he shouldn't have them and that's why he's so quick to hide them Mm -hmm. and that's why so he knows that there is something wrong, but he just doesn't know how he can fix it. And what would be one fix? One fix would be, well, if I destroy my brain by killing myself, then I can't hurt anybody at that mm. point. Yeah, it felt like more of a moment of lucidity, yeah. but he mm. chose to come to that conclusion at that mm-hmm. moment. Well, and so I, I want to ask a little bit more about this disordered thinking, because I think when I had heard you say that earlier, I was thinking of like jumbled thoughts 
or like confusion. But like here, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily see that here. It's just like correct. The, the delusions. So this would be an example of disordered thinking. No, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not being. Yeah, I would say that Wyatt doesn't necessarily suffer from disordered thinking. Mm. That like he's actually pretty lucid throughout. He's able to express himself. His rationale, like there's a a logic to it throughout, as opposed to like with disordered thinking. I'm thinking like when you're the words that are coming out of your mouth don't seem to have any connection mm. to one another. Like the thoughts are all like you had said. The thoughts are all scrambled and jumbled, and that manifests itself in like verbal interactions where you're like what like when you hear the phrase word salad mm-hmm. yes what i'm thinking of with wyatt and i think larry you hit it perfectly like he's having that moment of clarity where he knows like everything i have in front of me can do tremendous harm to people if i allow these delusions to peak basically mm-hmm. um and if i am wrong and if we're not if i'm really not at war if i'm really not this chosen soldier to fight these like mythical creatures and when you see that like the when he, he sees the picture of him and his ex-fiance and it kind of has if you've seen the movie grave encounters it has that look yeah to it from yes. the poster, which is fucking terrifying it's so right. scary the way that they reveal that too it's so mm-hmm. like subtle i mean it looks kind of fake same thing as in grave encounters but there's something mm-hmm. about just like glancing down at a normal yeah. photograph and seeing this distorted face is so upsetting mm-hmm. yes sorry, and then it's I'm not sorry. like a big moment with a big musical stinger it's just nope. like this right. is what he sees you know yeah. and that makes it so much scarier to me like yeah, ugh, like, uh, yeah. so he's he's contemplating suicide in that moment because because he knows if he doesn't he could very much wind up like hurting a great number of people including his best friend and he clearly doesn't want to do that well and that's what kind of breaks my heart because he also doesn't want his best friend to get attacked by the demons that he's convinced Mm -hmm. for it's like everything he does he does to try to help christian or like he does not seem like a a self-centered person at all he seems like really good natured and it just breaks my heart And this kind of leads me into another thing that I want to talk about, because I want to talk about Mara. But before I talk about Mara, I want to talk about her friend. And I don't remember what her name is. But the moment, I think the most heartbreaking moment in the movie for me is when the friend is talking to him about what happened with Mara. And he just like, she is shaming him. Like she is doing what we talked about Christian not doing earlier. She's like, what was it? Is it aliens or is it somebody? Oh, Mm -hmm. they're in your brain. You know what I'm like? Yes, fuck Mm -hmm. you. Like he can't help it, you know? And I mean, I get it. She's standing up for her friend. But then that moment where he just says, yeah, you probably should kill me. You know, he Mm -hmm. doesn't say it in those words, but it's like, yeah, I don't want to hurt people either, Mm -hmm. you know? And it just, it really made me angry and maybe not like her. Yeah. Yeah. Fair or not, that was my reaction. No, and I thought that characterization was a little little funny because, I mean, like, I think we've all been that female friend to somebody at some point where, like, a guy is an asshole to your friend and you're like, I'll fucking kill you. Like, Uh I will fucking destroy your fucking life, man. Like, you know, like, (laughs) vocal fry is kicking in. But Mm -hmm. I completely agree. I think that's just because we are with Wyatt on this journey, that moment is just an extra twist of the knife you know yeah. it's just like ah oh, shit like it's, this sucks for him like, but that's that stigma you know and like mm-hmm. I uh, yeah. as, as hard as it was to watch like that is a part of why it's experienced too which is part of why he's so afraid yeah. for this to be part of his life you know I mean she also doesn't have the decade-long 
relationship with Wyatt that Christian has. So mm-hmm. she doesn't have the, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't have like knowing what the good and the bad is. All she knows is this person like brought her friend, her best friend to an isolated basement. And in that basement, there was sulfuric acid, mm-hmm. a nail gun and axes. So like, I think she can be like, yep, I can definitely understand being angry at her at that mm-hmm. moment as a character in a movie. But I think that's a very real human mm-hmm. reaction to totally. have at that point. Like you're, you want to protect your friend at that point. Yeah, and knowing that Mara might have told her the story, like, he took me down to the basement and he showed me all these Mm. weapons and he said some really crazy shit and I felt really threatened, so I left. You know, like, she doesn't have the context of what his Mm -hmm. deal is, right? You know, I mean, yeah, it does feel very, like, I could see myself having done that, said what she said at various points in my life, because I get, like, I have an anger problem sometimes and Mm -hmm. I get very, especially, like, if I ever feel like one of my female friends have been threatened like you know it's more like i've been walking with friends and guys on the street say something or start doing something crazy Mm -hmm. or or, you know cat calling or something i was always the one that like defends my friend you know (laughs) because then you know it's it's stupid it's maybe not always beneficial but i have like a little small rage stroke and then Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what happens you know well, it um, made me wonder what she had been told because we start in the middle of that conversation. And I wonder if Christian had talked to Mara and Mara had talked to her or if she like Wyatt had said, hey, I think I have schizophrenia when he's talking to her about it. Like, because clearly that's what she assumes he has. And I just wonder where that came from. And we don't know. But I think if he had told her that would like almost break my heart even more considering like how Mm -hmm. he's struggling with admitting this to himself you know I don't know yeah and I mean I I do get mad at her but I think the movie is from Wyatt's perspective you know and so I think that's part of why she seems so harsh but yeah I mean I would probably do the same thing and it's interesting to see her reaction to this contrasted with Mara's reaction Mm -hmm. because Mara doesn't really know him that much either although they did have that night in the hospital so she's got more of a connection but like she is really angry at him and then they meet on the street Mm -hmm. and then she like hits him in the nose but then she she wants to help him. Like, I feel like she sees him as a human being too, you know? And, and yeah, and I, I do like Mara because again, she's a really like complex character in some Mm -hmm. ways. We don't get to see a ton of her, but what we do get to see is full of detail and, and, Mm -hmm. and and interesting reactions to things. And like, I do think she maybe was, is genuinely afraid of him at one point or another, but she also has these kind of like martial arts skills. So, Mm -hmm. and when she does hit him, he does put his hand on her. And honestly, if I felt like a guy was, they're kind of on an isolated side street. If a dude, you know, that seemed unstable, you know, touched me at that point, I'd probably do the exact same thing. But then Mm -hmm. she's like, Oh no, I went too hard. Does try to go to help him. And I, and I think that, you know, we don't see the end of their interaction. We see, him look at her as she's helping him with his nosebleed back at the office which I, I think is where they're supposed to be like mm-hmm. she takes him back to his office to her office and you know gets him some tissues it could it's sort of potentially maybe implied that he does hurt her or yeah. even Christian asks like oh you were with Mara did you hurt her you know mm-hmm. that threat of violence from him is ever present in the film yeah yeah and gosh, that moment when when um, Christian asked, did you hurt her? That's where you can feel that anger just mm-hmm. kind of under the surface. Like, OK, I'm playing along. I'm trusting you. But mm-hmm. did you hurt her? And, and that's, I think, where the line for him would be, because I right. think 
like Mara doesn't do anything wrong in this story. Like if I got taken down to a basement like that, I would absolutely react in the exact same <laughs> yeah. way, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And I feel like when we look at Christian's response to this and we talked about how, how amazing his support is and that's great. But I mean, I feel like you have to have a certain amount of boundary for your own physical safety. Like, yeah, she is not obligated to do what Christian does to support I- Wyatt, you know? And now that I'm thinking about this, this is something I just don't I like choose not to think about. And I was really young when it happened to me, but I had a friend um, just after high school who I don't know what was wrong with him, but I know that I was very good friends with him and he started exhibiting sort of bizarre symptoms and say, saying really weird and kind of frightening things, saying that he had superpowers and that he was a werewolf and stuff like this. And um, there was one day we were hanging out and I was writing an email to my boss. And I say, I was saying something like, I can't come in for this shift. Can I move my shift or something like this? And he was like fucking around and he kept like typing, typing, typing and like trying to like, he was like seemingly joking, but he was typing like swear words into the email. And I was like, stop it, stop it. And I thought that it hit send with him having typed like fuck, fuck, fuck over and over again. And I was like, I told you not to fucking do that. And I kind of like, I lightly like slapped him in the face because I was like, you motherfucker, you just sent like a swear words to my boss. And he put me in an arm bar and basically said like, I'm going to ever fucking touch me again. I'll break your arm. I'll fucking kill you. Mm. This kind of thing. And um, then he let me go and he like walked across the room and started crying. And then was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did that. Blah, blah, blah. And it was after that, that I started doing martial arts. And I also decided at that moment to stop being friends with him and stop hanging out. And I wasn't cruel about it, but I was like, okay, this just crossed a threshold for me that, was too much you know I felt yeah. really afraid he put me in a full-on arm bar and I don't know mm. if you've ever been in that but it's like I've been now I know how to do that to other people <laughs> um, but you really it's very easy to break someone's arm at that moment and he was much much bigger than me and um so I really relate to Mara in this movie in a lot of ways I mean I relate mm. to Krista I relate to all I relate to everybody on some level and that really speaks to what good filmmaking it is but like yeah as a woman especially like feeling uh an, uh, you know, a, a man that you can sense is unstable. You don't know exactly why, but at that point you're like, they could hurt me. It doesn't matter. I think cause her, her behavior is completely rational mm-hmm. and understandable, whatever, why it's struggles are. They're just two separate storylines, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you do have to protect yourself ultimately. So, yeah. 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 And that's um maybe kind of what I was trying to get at about Christian is that he is putting himself arguably in danger to help Wyatt and you're not obligated to do that. Like there are professionals who know how to do that well. And I think Christian gets lucky in that this does end up being this really um, kind of empowering moment for both of them. And I think they come through it. Okay. But we also see the the very end of that. Like we don't see past that moment, you know? Right. So we don't know what the next day is like, but I think like, untrained people like me I don't have any kind of medical training or you know psychiatric training like if somebody chooses me as their support system I am not obligated to support them you know especially if it makes me feel uncomfortable no I think you always need to put your own safety first you know safety that's the boundary If you feel like you're unsafe or to be put in an unsafe position, then that's you're not an obligate. You're not obligated yeah. to that person. Like sometimes support can be, hey, I'm going to find you somebody to talk to, and then mm-hmm. we're not going to talk for a little bit. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like that's okay. Boundaries. 
yes. boundaries. I mean, that could be a whole episode where we just talk about the importance hmm. of boundaries and, and how to set healthy boundaries. And also by setting those boundaries, you are helping them. There can be a point where if you have no boundaries, you are enabling their issues and you right. are not actually helping them. So it's very, very complex. Yeah. I think in this case, in the, this is a dramatic, you know, it's a story, it's a movie, it's not real. I think that what Christian does for Wyatt is really poetic and beautiful. I would not recommend doing that in real life. You know? Right. If, if they are to have the potential for violence, don't let them tie you up. Yeah. Just don't, just don't do it. Yes. <laughs> like, don't let them tie you up and put a bag over your head so you right. can't see what's going on. Well, and his boundary is I don't want to kill anyone. So he does set a boundary, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. It's just... Mm -hmm that's a that's a high bar you know <laughs> like, right it's a lot of, and it, it like I wonder how far he would have followed through on all of this you mm -hmm. know um if it if it had been an hour and not six minutes you know it's just it's interesting and I love like we talked about how it's not a metaphor but I almost think maybe it, it is a little bit because I don't think that an, this is how this would normally play out you know, I think this is a lot of trust to put it in Wyatt's hands. But in order for the movie to make sense and for there to be action and conflict, he needs to kind of go a little bit further than I think any of us would, you know. Right, right. It's it's done for dramatic effect. <laughs> it is. And it's very dramatic. Yeah. Like that moment. Oh, my God. When he pulls the bag off and he sees it's like that the acting in this movie is phenomenal because it's like mm -hmm. that la surprised laughing like gratefulness that he doesn't have to kill his best friend it's mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. uh, and and how happy christian is to have gone through that with him you know it's and it it feels like a breakthrough too like now wyatt pushed himself to this point and because christian was so willing he pushed him to a point where he realizes he needs help. And yeah. I, I, I like to think that after the credits roll, you know, the next day he goes and sees that therapist that Christian referred him to and he gets the help that he needs. Because yeah. otherwise, what was the point of all of that? But I mean, but I do think that's kind of what the movie is implying will happen because yeah. it's a happy ending. It is a very, it's a happy ending. It is because he also sees he, he needs help and he sees that Christian is going to be there with him as he gets help. Like he's going to get the help for himself, but Christian is going to be there to support him, you know, mm -hmm. which is, it's just key. You know, you got to have somebody to go through it with you because it's hard, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So this is not an advice how to support. I think I said take <laughs> notes earlier, be like Christian, but I'm be like him in, in spirit, not yes. in literal. <laughs> not in action. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, is there anything else that we want to talk about with this? Is there anything? I'm good. I'm okay. also good. Okay. Well, so as we're kind of wrapping up talking about they look like people, let's briefly mention any other mental health topics we see represented in this movie. Um, we're not going to go too much in depth with them, partly because we've already talked about some of them, and we might be covering these down the road as their own topics. Um, but I just like to mention things that we see. And my big one is normalize men going to therapy. I have talked about this before, but like, gosh, I if I feel like there's one mission in my life, like it is letting men know it's okay to go to therapy. It's actually mm -hmm. great that you do, you know? And I love the scene when Christian, like they're making breakfast and he's like, yeah, I tried to kill myself last year. I went to therapy, you know? And it's, he's kind of trying to make it nonchalant. So there's mm -hmm. this, which could be read as not comfortable talking about feelings, but I read it as kind of not wanting to freak Wyatt out too much. Totally. You yeah. know? He's trying to like keep the conversation moving. And it, 
I'll say the flip side to this theme is toxic masculinity in this movie. Like we were talking a little bit earlier about some of uh, Christian's like PUA tendencies, like, mm-hmm. you know, dominating and being an alpha male shit is like the flip side of that is that's not really who he is. And he really does just choose not to walk that path at the end of the day. And I think that that's a really uh, nice way of exploring that as a theme. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, you could look at that as like a coping or a strategy that he has built to try to recover and just maybe one that's not really working the way he thought it was going to, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. But I just love that they these are two men who are very open with talking to each other about their feelings yeah. and going to therapy. And it's just and he's not afraid to go to therapy because it's a stigmatized thing. He's afraid of going to therapy because he's afraid of what that will reveal about him. And I just, I yeah. love. Or he thinks that there's demons like inside Exactly. The <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah. I just love how, how that's treated. Um, we also mentioned suicide um, and depression. And there's also addiction. Like I read, I am going to link an article that talks about um, Christian. I don't know if I would call him an addict, but he definitely drinks a lot. You know, and he drinks to escape his feelings. I mean, yes. I, I think, you know, and they have, I noticed they had Wyatt like avoiding alcohol, but I think that's because he was trying not to bring on an episode or something. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. For a second, I was like, oh, is he not drinking because he's an alcoholic? But then I was like, no, 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 he's, he's trying to avoid triggering these symptoms of, that he's mm-hmm. having. So. Yeah. so, and I don't know how deep the movie really itself interrogates that, but it is present. And I think it's, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, there's also like, he's a 20 something in New York City. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so yeah. it's definitely, there's a part of that. It's part of the culture as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was going to say, if you, if you put anybody in their twenties or early thirties from Chicago on film, you'd be like, these are all alcoholics. Yes. It's like, it's such a right. busy city. You know, it's kind of like in a movie when someone coughs, that means they're going to have like consumption and die. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, is there any other things that we want to mention that we haven't already talked about? Nine. Yeah, we get it covered. Okay, so let's briefly mention any other movies we see schizophrenia mentioned in. So we've got Hereditary, and last week we mentioned Daniel Isn't Real, which I still haven't seen. I meant to watch it this week, and I just didn't have time. And we had a listener in the Facebook group, Allison, mention Fear of Rain, which I have mm-hmm. not seen. Have any of you seen that? Never even heard no. of it. It's Apparently it is about a girl with schizophrenia. Um, and I wanted to mention 5050, which is not necessarily about schizophrenia, but that is also another movie where I think we see two friends, two male friends yeah. really support one another through a really traumatic experience. Yeah. Any others we want to mention? I wanted to bring up Repulsion, which although it was made by Roman Polanski, mm. <laughs> uh, it is still one of my favorite movies. I know that's complicated, but that's, I think we chose not to cover it because we didn't want mm. to, you know, yeah. give that much focus to Polanski, but it is a really, um, it's very similar to this movie in some ways in terms of putting you in the perspective of someone that is having sort of a psychotic break or, or sort of spiraling into what is probably schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. I think it has some of the most compelling visual sequences I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but it's it's also... I think in some ways adds to the stigmatization element of it. Mm. It it definitely judges its character more than this movie did. So I, but really? I do think it's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation and Polanski for all his many horrible sins is the master of paranoia. Yes. Another, another listener, another listener in the Facebook group mentioned Black Hood's daughter, mm. which I really, it's an Osgood Perkins movie and I really love it. Um, and it, to me, it's more in the vein of hereditary where the metaphor is the, is the monster kind of a thing. Um, 
And I will give a very brief plug to my friend Ben Nissen's feature film called Nowhere Mind, which is also has themes of schizophrenia, but it diverge. It's more psychological horror that diverges into sci-fi, I would say. Hmm. Um, but I'm not sure where you can find it, but uh, Google Nowhere Mind by Ben Nissen. He was also the DP on my short film, Short Leash. Uh, he's a really great photographer. Uh, yeah, hmm. I'm done now. Cool. No. Mike, you have any? Yeah, I would say if you don't want to watch Tenet because of Polanski, you could watch Mickey Keaton's film Darling, which is yeah. <laughs> tribute to tribute to Polanski's movie done in black and white. It's a lot of the shots are like just absolute like mirrors of that film. It's really good. And Mickey Keaton is also made of handsome that hair. Just <laughs> and like, I love the actress, the the lead actress in that film. I'm blanking on her name. I Lauren think we follow- Ashley Carter. Yeah. yeah, she's awesome. We follow each yeah. other on Twitter, and I think she's beautiful and a really great she actress. Really is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would I could recommend that, and I I mentioned these two movies earlier. But if if you want to see like male friendships like really represented well in genre films, then seek out Jeremy Gardner's The Battery, uh, a movie he made for like literally for six thousand dollars, and it looks like it's a few million went on screen. Wow! And also the debut of uh, Benson and Moorhead, like they're going to be doing stuff for Moon Knight and Marvel now. And their uh, original film, Resolution. Resolution, which was made, I think, for like 10. That should be for addiction. I was about to say, we should cover that yeah. for addiction. I, I that, love that. Yeah. I love that movie. I adore that movie so, so much. Well, and on that note, um, now it's time for an uplifting moment. This is where we share any grounding or self-care that's been effective for us recently. Um, grounding and coping techniques are the little trips, tri- little, the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices we just fuck. <laughs> grounding and coping strategies are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices. I can't say any words that we use to help us get through the times when we can't say words and we're just gonna. <laughs> so they're, they're they're how we get through. And self-care are the things we do to make ourselves feel better or feel good. And would anyone care to share anything this week? I'll just say that I've continued somehow to to journal at least a little bit, which has been helpful. And I've really just been focusing on, I don't want to say like a mantra because that's not completely true, but I've just been like telling myself to fucking get through it because I was really spiraling for a while there, especially like... February with all the snow and the COVID fatigue and the isolation was really like fucking closing in on me, like the walls and repulsion. But <laughs> I, uh, I, I really have been focusing, whether through this little bit of journaling and just a little tiny bit of meditation, not nearly enough, just like you're going to get through it. Like you're, there is another, there is hope. There is a tomorrow. I've been really just, it's kind of like the, um, smile and you'll feel better like you know mm-hmm. la- just make yourself start laughing and you'll be in a better mood you know um mm-hmm. and it's been helping a little bit yeah uh, not a magic bullet but it's it's really <laughs> i've really been focusing on trying not to spiral <laughs> and uh you know it makes a difference so yeah. oh, like good. just fucking willing it plus all my antidepressants you know <laughs> yeah. it's like that fake <laughs> it till you make it kind of thing you know yeah 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 um, I, I was kind of struggling to try to think of something this week and mine might be a little maybe off the wall, but, um, I have had a couple of just rough weeks, nothing really in particular, but just kind of having a lot of like 
negative thinking, like intrusive thoughts that I'm having a hard time, like kind of pushing out. And I think part of it is because I'm just doing this brain spotting thing. And what that has been like is like a lot of this like pain and like hurt stuff that I keep bottled up is kind of just slowly leaking out, you know, which is good. It's just it's there and I can feel it. And sometimes it like leaks out a little faster than I think it's going to. But my self-care it's kind of ironic, but it's almost been like pushing myself, you know, because I think in therapy, I spent probably a good two years of really building a lot of self-care and a lot of coping and like a really firm foundation. And then kind of got to the point where like now, okay, now I feel like I'm standing on a foundation. Now it's time to go forward. And I feel like that's kind of what I've been doing recently, like with watching Poughkeepsie tapes. And then I read a book called Cam Girl this week, which was amazing and it like I don't know if I want to say it's life-changing but it really like changed the way I thought about some key things in my own experiences but it was hard like it was hard to read and so I think my my self-care is kind of just like maybe loosening the reins of the self-care a little bit and going forward knowing that it is there when I need it I don't know if that made sense but that's just kind of where I am Book by Issa Mazay. Yes, and it's the the inspiration for the movie Cam. Yeah, I was gonna ask because I love that movie. Highly yeah. recommend. You know, it's um, it's di- it's different. It's it's funny. Like it's because there's not really a cycle a a supernatural element to the book. It's mm-hmm. more just about her own experience. But it's just it's so fucking good, and it made mm-hmm. me like the movie Cam a lot more. And even though like I loved it the first time I watched it, so yeah, check out Cam, mm-hmm. but then read the book. It's it's it was like eight hours on audio. Mm-hmm. So so good. So yeah. So I know for me, like I've talked before about needing to get in and see someone for myself, uh, specifically for eating. Like I said, like I don't smoke or drink or you know, partaking drugs, but like what I do is eat a shit ton of food and I eat it when no one is around, which mm-hmm. isn't good. So I was actually able to connect with a place near us, like it's called Behavioral Nutrition, uh, and they specialize in like counseling for eating disorders. So I've finally hooked up with like a nutritionist and a counselor. And like the great tip I got from the nutritionist is like, well, before you eat at night, like right down, like before you do it, like why you doing it? What are you doing hmm. right now? And like, you're then we're going to talk about it like next time we meet. So it puts a barrier. It's like a little step, but like before I like go to the kitchen and literally devour a day's worth of food, I would have to like write down what's going on. And I can say that like in the three, almost four weeks that I've done that, um, I think I've only like eaten twice three times like since and even then it's like a fraction of what I normally would it's just that added barrier I have to like really think about what I'm doing Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a nice little thing where like even now like I don't have the urge like I would to go there and like you know fresh food um so it's just a nice little thing that I'm kind of like doing and, and knowing like why you know like I had my first counseling session and I'm a little bit unsure about it kind of reminds me of Ray Romano it's <laughs> like super low reactor and like mm-hmm. and he knows I'm a counselor and our styles are so different and at one point he's like so what do you think you should do I'm like I don't know man like that's why I'm seeking professional help <laughs> you know and I almost a couple times wanted to check in with him like are you okay like tell me about <laughs> your oh. week and what you have 
but I think like he did say a couple things that I'm like, that's really, and I just found myself like, as I'm talking to him, I'm like, I didn't really know that about myself. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, just as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, I'm going to have to process this later, even if we don't talk about it now. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited. Like the scales moved a little bit, but it's really about like, I feel like number one, a lot of my energy coming back. Uh, and number two, it's nice to not have to like poop first thing in the morning, <laughs> sorry, like immediately after waking up. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would love to get to the point where I'm comfortable, like taking pictures of myself and mm-hmm. things like that. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. That's awesome. That, that is sound like yeah. some really practical tips too, yeah. which is like sometimes it can just feel so overwhelming when yeah. you're facing something like that. So yeah, that's really great. It is. Thanks for sharing that too. Yeah. I think that's something I wish yeah. more people felt comfortable talking about, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I think a lot of people go through yeah. it. Yep. Well, we want to know what you think. What do you think of They Look Like People? What movie do you see schizophrenia represented in? What is your current grounding in self-care or just, you know, what's up with you? You can share all of these things and more by following us at Psycho A Pod on all of the socials. Look out for prompts and stuff. Um, recently learned how to edit photos, so I've been having fun with that. Um, and they look great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I'm having so much fun. So you can also join the Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. This is a private and moderated group filled with some really amazing and supportive people. So please make sure to check it out. Um, You can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you'd like to share totally privately. And if you've got a free moment or two, we would love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. And like Mike said, we've gotten a couple of nice ones recently. So thank you so much. I think we said that before we started recording. But yeah, yeah it, it means a lot to us to see that. So thank yeah. you. Um, and it also, it really helps people find the pod. I know people say that a lot, but it's true. It helps us find new listeners. Um, so our homework question for this week is... Tell us your favorite memory about your best friend from high school. Could be a goofy one. Did you like do some stuff with socks or whatever? You know, that sounded a little <laughs> weird when I said it. But yeah, tell us about your best friend from high Talking school. Talking about jerking off, right? <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> uh, I would never. Bless oh, your heart. No. <laughs> yes, I think I, would, I temporarily went blind junior year, a group of us. So. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. So stay tuned for Mike's story about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So and look out for a prompt. I'll post a prompt probably I think on Saturdays is when I've been doing that recently. But yeah, we would love to hear your stories because this is such a sweet friendship movie. So it really is. Um, So what are we watching next? Well, I'm so glad you asked. We have a Comfort Horror episode coming up. Special guest Nicole Goebel from the Bodies of Horror podcast is joining us to talk about Children of the Corn. And I am really excited because I've not seen this movie in a long time. So I'm excited. Make sure you watch the first one (laughs) and not one of the awful seaton and many sequels yes yeah just the first one the linda hamilton one that we're going to be talking about um and while you're at it check out nicole goble's podcast bodies of harb it's on the anatomy of a screen podcast network that um joe lipsit talked about earlier Mm -hmm. and it's a really great 
uh, podcast. She'll talk about it more next week. Um, but yeah, so we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us along with lots of other great pods by going to consequenceofsound.com. And Mike, where can we find you online? So you can find me over mostly on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian. Uh, that's my personal account. So feel free to follow me there. I'm trying to get to uh, a thousand sooner than later. So follow me, you fucking cowards. Just do it. <laughs> you can also find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, with uh, we co-host it with Lindsay Travis, where we are, you know, basically what Halloweenies does as well, where we cover franchises or do different themes. Like right now, we're in the middle of our French horror theme. And then we're going to be going from that to like the Evil Dead series. And then I believe Jaws this summer. <gasps> so, yeah. Oh, so we Jaws. have a So we have a guest for Jaws now. Join us. Uh, <laughs> yes. Adam, so. um, I would also be happy to join for that. I yes, love yeah. well, Jaws. is one of the best movies of all time. Hey, I'll do it any of those is. franchise movies because I'm okay. yeah. Same so, Evil Dead sorry. too, actually. I love Evil Dead as well. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll be, we'll be definitely lining up guests for that. So... <laughs> But yeah, you know, you can find if you like what I do here, like I think you'll like what we do there as well. So I'd encourage you, like if you're listening to the show and you really enjoy it, definitely go over to the pod and the pendulum and give us a listen and maybe throw a few bucks through our Patreon too. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, and if you liked our T2 episode, that is Lindsay yeah. from the pod and the yep. pendulum. So. Yes. And I yes. think um oh, and also really quick plug for Lindsay. She um, guested on an episode of the King cast where she busted out her lawyer in skills because she's a lawyer. She's mm -hmm. actually been a litigator up in Canada. Oh, wow. She defended Andy Dufresne's. <gasps> uh, she was her, his, her, his defense attorney. That's, and that's funny. It was really good. I mean, number one, like the hosts were shocked that she provided them with notes. Like, wait a minute, you <laughs> this show? Um, and that's just who, you know, Lindsay is. And but it's a wildly entertaining episode. So I would definitely like seek it out. It was on their patron feed uh, and is now in their main feed. Uh, and, you know, I normally say like, give their, but the, Scott Wampler doesn't need your patron <laughs> Patreon money. Like he's rolling in Patreon money right now. Like give it to me. In the <laughs> so, but I would say like, listen to that episode with Lindsay. It's honestly probably one of the best things I've listened to in, for a uh, podcast in a long, long time. Like, well, I love um, Andy Dufresne and the Shawshank yeah. Redemption and mm -hmm. oh, love that. It stuff. made me go and listen to the audiobook like immediately after. Like I'm like, I need to listen to this again. It's Aww. been way too long. So That's so cool. That's awesome. Well, Laura, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at underalls u-n-d-e-r-a-l-l-s which much like uh you know what you wear under your pants which can be a traditional pair of underwear uh you know it could be uh, <laughs> boxer briefs it can be a thong or it can just be a sock mm, yes which worn over the dick will make you sing <laughs> give it away give it away give it away now yes that's that's um, just science that's just how it happens. It just comes out of you. Right. Uh, that's at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S on Twitter. And uh, you, you can also find me on it's Instagram. It's my favorite one so far, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I'm running on fumes here. Um, I, I got to, like, stop this. I, at some point, I'm going to formally announce that I'm never doing this again. <laughs> run through every underwear-related joke I can think of. Uh and on Instagram at Instaglom, I'm like Instagram with a mood disorder. And I'm occasionally on Losers Club and Halloweenies as well. 
And you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the socials. And uh, you can also find me on the Losers Club. And we just wrapped our regular regulators and desperation coverage. And I'm not really sure what's what's up next, uh, but it'll be Stephen King related and it'll be fun. So I got (laughs) to check the calendar and see what's up next. Um, And, um, you know, writing and stuff. So make sure to follow me if you're interested in more of my thoughts on stuff. And I just started Mac, my uh, stand read along, which kind of took a break for a little bit while I was reading like four books for things. Oh, and I also did a guest episode of chat cemetery recently where I talked about 11, 63, which is one of my favorite books. So yes, be just follow, Follow me and I'll show you all the stuff where you can find more of me because that's what everyone needs, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that is our episode on They Look Like People. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode and for the series on schizophrenia. We really appreciate you spending time with us. Please take care of yourselves, take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we are we're all bubblegum. <laughs>